passage. It is familiar, isn't it? Um, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. It's so familiar we might start to switch off. We might start to apply a filter. And we filter out what it really means. We might have lost the meaning of what Jesus intends when he taught it. Now, I know this parable is a favorite for some. And some of this uh, hold this passage very dear to our hearts. Perhaps some of us have even come to faith through one of these stories. But if you look closely at the context, I don't think Jesus taught this at a gospel rally. He spoke to some Pharisees. He was trying to correct some wrong thinking about God. Of my own experience, I've heard this many times before as a little kid. I acted in Sunday school, kids about uh, skits about it, and then I got it all wrong. See, before I heard this preached properly, I thought I was the older brother, and I was proud of it. I thought Jesus was teaching good Christians should endure this type of injustice when their siblings got the bigger toys, like my sister still does. And he was commending me, right? The Kuai San who endured all these things for the injustice I felt. Oh, well, I was in for a shock. Uh, the first time I heard these, the, uh, this passage preached properly, uh, it was in a, a church that's called Synapse in the UK by a then young man named Vaughan Roberts, and it was life changing. Because the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son is not about injustice, it is not even really about the prodigal son. It is more about the older brother than the younger one. In fact, it is more about the father. About how the father's heart beats with love. And that will teach us about our priorities as his people. And whether our heartbeat is in line with God's. So I'm going to pray for us. uh, To ask for God's help to see clearly. Now, if I know that spiritual truth needs to be spiritually discerned, we ask for your Spirit's help now to open our eyes and to unclog our ears to hear again this message of Jesus and then bend our wills to obey. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let me ask you then first, what is your priority in life? Your priority as a Christian here at BDPC your priority as a Christian in school or in your workplace, in the office or at home if you're a homemaker? What is your priority as a parent or even as a child? How is your heart today? What what gets you excited? What gets you sad? What gets you rejoicing? How does your heart beat today? Now, We're going to look at these three parables together. Uh, Three parables because it needs to be driven into hardened hearts. Uh, We won't be looking at them uh, through uh, not verse by verse because the main thing Jesus wants to say he actually repeats three times. And it's found uh, really in verse 7. Verse 7, Just so I tell you, says Jesus, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, God willing, this verse will readjust our priorities to make them in line with God's priorities. We'll come into the verses then. The issue is raised really from verse 1, 15 verse 1. 
But these parables are addressed to the Pharisees. He's dealing with the moans and groans of religious people. They had a problem with Jesus. See, Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees, the religious people of the time, and the scribes, the experts in the law, grumbled. Look at that rabbi, Jesus, they said. He's breaking all the rules. He receives those sinners, those dogs. You know, you know it's, it's what we call the problem kids, the unchurched people, the last people you expect in heaven. And this Jesus actually chooses to eat with them. He welcomes them. These sinners, they were getting more face time with Jesus. You see, there's Levi the tax collector. And there's Ira the immoral. I'll throw them into prison. Look, look, he smells of impurity. Yet Jesus is sharing his bread with him. It's outrageous. It's incompatible with our laws. They're unclean. And this so-called wannabe Messiah wants to prove he really is the Christ. Outrageous. He welcomes them and not us. Well, 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 says Jesus. Pharisees, you made one huge mistake. You see, you, you separated yourselves from others. You're supposed to teach them the law. You made yourself so righteous, you think you do not need to repent. You think you've got to get out of jail free without repentance card because of your works. And you think by your works, you are so holy, so set apart that you've completely neglected sinners. And you wouldn't even teach them the way back to God. You will have nothing to do with them. And there, you've made a huge mistake. Because you've not understood God or the gospel. So Jesus says, I've got three stories for you. I'm going to make a defense to your charge, to your criticism of my association with sinners. And I'm going to do more than that. I have to to correct your thinking. Because your priorities do not reflect heaven's priorities. Yes, Pharisees, you go for a Bible study every day. You keep your quiet time. But that's not the end game. That's not the point. Listen up, says Jesus. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is God's priority, so listen up. For all your outward religiosity and all your knowledge of the scriptures, Bible studies, prayer meetings and good works, you have not understood God's priorities or his concerns. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. The Son of Man comes from heaven and says, You Pharisees could not be more wrong. Well, I want to ask us today, 2,000 years later, have we grasped that truth? Do we actually believe that of God? Have we taken that on board in our lives as Christians? How heavenly are our priorities? Well, I want to bring you three simple statements. Three simple statements gathered from these three stories together. First statement. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. Secondly, caring means searching. Caring means searching. And thirdly, finding brings great joy. First of all, lost people matter to God. 
Now, you're probably saying, okay, we know that already. But wait, how important are lost people to your life? Because that's the running thread in these three stories. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, at least one of them. And in all three stories, there is a great concern for the lost. You take the first parable, for example, verses 3 to 7. The shepherd goes after the one lost sheep. He could have just said, right, never mind, right, never mind. Got, got 99 others anyway. It's cold. It's dark. In fact, it's just as dangerous now for me to go out there as for the sheep. All the shepherd probably wants after a hard day's work is some hot food, a hot drink. But when he gets home, he counts and he says, one is missing. What would I do? Right? Put the coat back on out into the mountains again to look for it. Oh, we all know it well. I'm sure we feel it when something is lost. We feel it. Like the woman who lost her one coin. We feel it. If you've ever lost a, something precious, a wedding ring, your iPhone, we feel it, don't we? Well, those are inanimate objects. So, but when a pet goes missing, you put up notices at the bus stop and in the classified papers, the ads in the papers, how much more when a family member goes missing or walks out on you? Imagine how much God feels it when He sees the billions of people who are without hope because they are without God. Well, some of the lost are like that sheep. They never meant to get lost, right? They just fall their appetites, head down, eat the grass, and they ended up miles away from God. Some are like the coin, inanimate, just rolled away. They don't even know they are lost. And some are like the younger son who rebel in the face of God and walk out on their father. Our oh, friends, think about the people you know. It could be from your workplace or school. Spend a few seconds. How many are like the sheep following their own appetites and their needs and desires and wandering off? How many are like the coin cold and hard and not even knowing they are lost? How many are like the son who rebel against God? You see, that is why the Son of Man is drawn to sinners. That is why he came. Jesus would say later in Luke 18, I came to seek and save the lost. He feels it. He feels the compassion for the lost. Because lost people matter to God. So I ask you, have, you, have we really grasped that in our hearts? Or do we devalue the lives of the lost? We not care. Instead of caring for the lost people among us, we are more concerned with our work. Now, all our emphasis is on our work. <clears throat> if you're a teacher, I work with a lot of teachers. They're crafting their lesson plans. They're getting their marking done. All to improve a student's grades. Or if you're a parent, you spend so much time and money coaching your kids in Chinese. Or perhaps not work, but perhaps it's just your leisure. If you're a friend of a non-Christian, you spend so much time just hanging out with them and being a good friend. Is that how we show we value them? Our concern for them? Let's not forget heaven's priorities. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who gets nine distinctions, passes their Chinese, has a good time. No, it is when one sinner repents. There is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. 
This is what keeps Jesus associating with sinners. Don't you see, Pharisee? Don't you know that, scribe? Lost people matter to God. Well, think about it then. For ourselves, if I claim to be his child, what matters to God must matter to me. Well, how many of us can say that we share God's concerns? Are heaven's priorities our priorities? Do we care? Do we really care as God cares? Or have we strayed like the Pharisees and the scribes to play at Christianity, to merely indulge our hobby? When you say, oh, I love listening to good sermons. An MP3 player has got nothing but good sermons. I'm singing or serving in the music ministry. I'm wearing the church camp t-shirt. I say grace before meals. Occasionally, I even go overseas for mission trips. I study the Bible. You see, the Pharisees were all, they did all these things very well, better than any of us. They even taught the Bible well. They were perhaps even in the consistory. They were full-time workers. But they lacked the concern for God. So is this whatever you do? You and I being here in church this Sunday, all of us just indulging our hobby. Or do we really care? Care like Jesus cares. Take a spiritual ECG. Listen to a heartbeat. To a heartbeat like the Father's. Does what matters to Him matter to us? Because lost people matter to God. And because of that, our second point, they're searching to be done. Our second point is caring means searching. Now, time prevents us from going into too much of the rich detail in these verses over the next two points. But the simple, simple point is this. We see common threads running through the three stories of the love of the shepherd, the woman, and the father. They're all looking hard, searching for the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The shepherd leaves in 99 to go into the wilderness to look for the one lost sheep. The woman lights a lamp. Now, all was more expensive in those days than uh, energizer batteries. Okay? She sweeps her entire house, like it's some OCD person, right? Just to look for the one lost coin. Uh, this is better than your CNY spring clean. Because she's actually searching for something. No stone, no pot, no carpet is left unturned. Where's our spring clean? Is uh, a bit kind of just leave it, the rest cover it up. It's okay. No, she leaves no stone unturned. The thinking in her mind is, it must be in here somewhere. It must be in here somewhere. It must be in here somewhere. And that's what keeps her going. And Don Carson, in a recent blog post, recounts this story when he was a boy. He says, I asked my dad, Tom, who was a pastor of a small church, after years of seemingly fruitless service in French Canada. He says, why don't you go someplace in the world where you'd see more fruit? His father turned to him and said, I stay because I believe God has many people in this place. And then he turned and walked out of the room. Carson ends with this line to encourage pastors. And I learned the lesson that we preach until they are found. Because that is when God's searchlight is shone in the darkness to find the lost. It's about searching. It's about going out there to search for that which is lost. It's not handing out a tract once in a while. 
It is not SMSing nice messages to friends. We can't count on people reading verse, Bible verses on our Facebook wall or, or Twitter status, whatever it is. We can't count on that for people to come into the kingdom. It's not a major method of evangelism. That's not searching. It means going out there to look. It means being a friend of sinners, caring for them. A whole lifestyle of wanting to reach the unreached with the gospel. As we saw in the video in Brazil, it's not about a cure from HIV or poverty we are concerned with. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The rejoicing takes place when people are back from the dead. So it means searching. It means being planned. Doing everything with the specific intention of searching and reaching the lost. It means being diligent, sweeping every inch of your house to look for that lost item. It means risk. It means going out there in the dark. And it means using God's gospel lamp to shine in the darkness, to find what is lost and to save what is perishing. And it means it will be costly. That's what the Son of Man did, did he not? He came to seek and save the lost. He, he didn't do this at a distance by social media. He left his heavenly dwelling to come on earth as a man with a sole purpose to go to the cross. At great cost, he came to save the lost. Now, of course, we are not Jesus. But he's left us that message. And now we have a message to save the lost with. The lost are not found without care, without diligence. Because the lost, they don't even know they're lost. They can't find their way back. They don't come with a GPS. Now, I'm hopeless at directions, but I think sheep are worse at finding their way around. The coin has no Find My Coin app. The son knows the way home, but pride prevents him. He needs the father to take, to take action, to come to meet him, to restore him. To welcome him back as a son. And the father does that in great humiliation. Verse 20. And we're going to focus on this. Right? Imagine the scene. There's a rich man. A property owner. A taokei, Okay, Probably he's eaten too much during Chinese New Year. And when he sees his son, you must imagine he lifts up his long robes, which is what they wore the last, uh, last time. And he's running to embrace and kiss a filthy, ceremonially unclean pig feeder. And he welcomes him back as a son, beyond this son's expectation. There you are, son. I've been waiting. I've been looking. I've come to bring you home. Welcome home. Now, there's a story of a Chinese painter right, at a European art school trying to depict Luke 15. That's what they do at art school, apparently. They take Bible stories and paint them. And on one side, the father's at the outer gate of the ancestral home, looking out. On the other side, is of the picture of the younger son on the path to home, and he's visible. The father sees him, he can see him, and the father's waiting, hands behind his back, peering into the distance. Now, this uh, Christian art teacher goes to him, look at the picture and says, well, it's not... not not quite right. I think, I think you've got it wrong. 
You see, in Luke 15, the father's not waiting at the door. He, he's been looking out for the son, yes, but once the son is visible, the father is bringing him to a run. He's not standing there anymore. He's running to him to welcome him home. <clears throat> the Chinese painter replies, Ah, but sir, no Chinese father will do that. <laughs> he couldn't comprehend the father's grace and humiliation. So back to the drawing board. He went back, meditated on the story and tried again. And in his new painting, in his haste, he actually paints the father lifting his robes up, running towards the son. And if you look closely, the fa- you see the father's shoes don't match. One is black, the other is a brown slipper. Such is his haste in running to welcome home the son. Now can you start to comprehend the grace, the undeserved mercy and the love of the Father? Then we will do the same. We will search. Because caring means searching. Practically, it means a whole life of searching for the lost, being preoccupied in that. It will mean engaging people in conversation, going out there, being prepared with an answer for your faith, a simple gospel outline of the ready. I heard there's a Two Ways to Live app. Go and download it. Show them the light. Give them the way back to God. And preach the gospel. You see, searching also means barking up the wrong tree. Well, that's what searching involves, right? Whoever goes out searching knowing exactly which trail to take. Exactly which way to go and I'll find it. Who, who, who searches like this? Anybody? Be prepared to make mistakes. But try. As a church, we must try. In our individual lives, we must try and don't be afraid to fail. Our theology must be able to cope with failure. No, we, we sometimes want to get everything right before we try. No. Of course not. Don't be reckless. Right, a bit of planning is good. But be prepared to make mistakes. Searching is not easy. If we only go searching once everything is in place, we will never go. Try. Be prepared to fail. And 20 times if you fail, but one gets found, the angels in heaven rejoice. It may mean danger. Now, just like the shepherd in the, in the dark. Now, in Singapore, we give thanks for our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion. But who knows? Who knows what will happen in the future if secularism becomes militant and intolerant of people's beliefs? It would mean danger. It may mean you, not, you will not get be promoted if you are found to be searching for the lost in the office. And sometimes it already is scaring us to keep silent. To say nothing, to warn them of the danger the lost are in. We would do nothing but watch as the lost head towards destruction. Well, here are Jesus' words to keep you searching. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. So Jesus has shown that caring means searching 
And finally, finding brings great joy. Finding brings great joy. Now, how many of us have been part of a search party? Okay, I know the LS boys have, right? Go and look for one small something your buddy has lost whole platoon goals. And when you found that missing thing or person, what do you experience? Well, hang on, no need to confine, right? Unspeakable joy. Look at the shepherd, verse 6. He throws a party, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. The woman, verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. But Jesus really wants us to focus on the next parable. That's why so many verses are given to it. This is the main act. Look at the father, verse 22 to 24. But the father said to servants, when he sees his son embraces him, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Don't wait the Chinese New Year. Let's do it now. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the Son of Man was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But some of us would never experience that joy. And we meet someone like that. He is the older brother in the final story. The older brother, verse 28, became angry and refused to go in. What is this I hear, Dad? The ungrateful good-for-nothing who took your money and left us has come back. Kick him out. Leave him for dead. But no, you welcome him. You throw a party for him. I'm not going to eat with him. In fact, I'm not going to eat with you. He thought his lost brother was lost forever and that was a good thing. He never wanted to see his brother again. He feels indignant that his brother has been welcomed home. Because you see, he never waited for his brother. He never went out to search. He is surprised that a feast is being thrown for his lost brother who was found. Now Jesus is saying, do you recognize the oldest son, Pharisee? It's you. The righteous, hard-working, model child. And he's putting up the mirror to the Pharisees, who could only care about themselves and what they got out of being in the father's house. In other words, while the younger brother represents the lost, the older brother is the one who has this attitude to the lost being found by God. The one who would say, verses 29 to 30, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've always followed your commands, and they were painful, he says. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You never gave me anything. Never once could I go and party. Verse 30, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? For him? What? That's just injustice. You call it love. See, the older son couldn't comprehend the father's grace. He could never experience the joy of finding something that was lost. Look a little deeper. You find out why. What does he think of the father's house? Verse 29, what a pain. I am a slave, not a son. 
you know the Chinese the zi bei gan, right? Self, whatever you call it. But friends, do you start to recognize who the older brother could be? These words could very well come from our mouths. Because the older brother could very well be the Presbyterian son. I come to church. I go for a prayer meeting. Do you know how many weekends I gave to youth ministry? Do you know how much money I have put in the offering bag? Do you know how many promotions I have sacrificed for you? And now I'm old, single, living in a three-room HDB flat under the single subsidized scheme from HDB. I've never asked anything from you and you've never given me anything. And yet with this successful Mary of Kids Sinner comes to church because of the Easter event which I probably paid for, I washed the dishes for, you welcome him. Do you know what he did in Polly when I was his classmate? And you welcome him? I am a slave, not your son. It would be good to listen to our hearts a little bit more at this point. Do our hearts beat for ourselves? Or is it in tune with God's? And yet, even yet now, what kind words come from the father to his older son? Verse 31. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. He is pleading with the son, don't be like that. Don't think like that. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Just come back in. Come and join the party. Uh, would you have done that? I tell you what I've done, right? I, like the father, like all Chinese fathers, will say, get lost, right? As the saying goes, the further, the better. To the older son. But this father did something marvelous to the Presbyterian son, do you see? Son, you have all the privileges. You don't need to feel angry. All I have is yours. And hear what the father says in verse 32. He wants his older brother to come back in. He tells him the reason. It is fitting to celebrate. We have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This brother of yours. Aren't you glad for him? Aren't you glad for me? Come and be glad, my son. You were always inside. Now don't become an outsider. Your brother who was on the outside has come back inside. Your brother who once was lost has been found. And we see even with the older brother, there is a gracious invitation to come back inside. To the Pharisee to join the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Which means celebrating over the lost who are found. Over the dead who have been made alive again. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Finding brings great joy. Now as we close, let's think through what we learn of the Father. Now some of us here may never have seen the grace and the love of God this way. In some ways, we're like the prodigal son. We've taken all the good things from God and turned away. And we're starting to see that we are lost. Well, that's you. Reflect on the grace and love of God the Father. God welcomes you. And keep coming back to listen more 
on what Jesus wants to say. In the last parable, we are asked to focus on the older brother. Perhaps some of us are like the older brother, the Presbyterian son. We are not, please know, right at the end of the story, Jesus doesn't tell us what the older brother did. He leaves us with a cliffhanger. It ends with a father's statement, son, you're always with me, come back in. We are meant to ponder like the Pharisees then. Do I join the party? Or do I stay outside? We are meant to contemplate our own response to this story. Will I join the party? Do you want to share the joy of the Father, the celebration of finding something that was lost? Because there is nothing that sets heaven singing like when one who was spiritually dead is alive again. When one of God's children who was lost is found. Don't you want to be part of that? Well, if you do, let's rekindle the flame of love for him. The love for people who are lost, which may have gone out. If anything of the older brothers in us, resentment, indifference to the lost, we've lost the heartbeat of God, and we never got involved in searching. And we've never known heaven's joy. Well, back for mercy. Well, here's the good news. Because God, if that's us, God welcomes us too. He wants us back to join in the party. He pleads with us to change, to get in tune with His heartbeat. So ask God to change your heart. To set it aglow with his love and his concern. To have a heart for the lost. To have heaven's priorities. The parable is about God the Father. Don't avoid the Father's appeal. Don't reject his invitation to share his joy. It starts first of all as we walk out of here. In seeing the lost as just that. Lost and in danger. Perishing without Jesus. Then if you care, if you have heaven's priorities, you will join in the search. Perhaps even at great cost. And you will find joy. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Come join the party, says Jesus. Search with God himself as a searchlight. And find unspeakable joy. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who do not need repentance. A moment's quiet to reflect on that verse before I close in prayer. Gracious Lord, write your word on our hearts. Help us to get excited to think of the privilege of searching for those who do not yet know you. And Father, we come before you this morning to rededicate ourselves. Take me and use me as a channel to draw people to yourself through the gospel. Open our eyes, Father. Help us to see one person who is lost. Show us just one sheep and one coin. 
We have no need for a hundred different projects of people. Just one person to come to know you. Please help us not to hold back for a lack of love or a lack of vision. Give us the shepherd's heart, the woman's concern, the father's love. Make us those who seek and draw to the Savior those who are lost. And give us again, by your mercy, the great joy of joining in the heavenly chorus when one sinner repents. For Jesus' sake. Amen.